I don't know if it's a true story or not, but uh, a story was told about the legendary football coach, Vince Lombardi, that he would begin training camp every August with his football team, the Green Bay Packers. He'd gather all the players around, and he would show them a football, and then he would say, men, this is a football. He's going back to the basics, starting right at the beginning. And one year, one of the players said, coach, don't go so fast. And... um, (laughs) So every so often, it's good to go back to the basics and to review who we are and what we're about. And that's what we're going to do over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about we are the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ in this place. And it's all over the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that we are the church of Jesus Christ. We exist in this world because we've been called by God. That Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And we have been called by God to love him And it's his idea to gather people together uh, to be the church. And we have been forgiven of our sin. We've been saved by the blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The church has been called the, the bride of Christ. We've been, uh, so we're a partner together with Christ in this world. Another picture is the church is the body of Christ. We are the heart and the hands. We are the arms and the legs. In other words, we're tight with Jesus. We do his work. And we are powered by the Spirit of God to speak God's words, to do God's work, to represent God and His goodness in this world. So how do you go about that? What do we do? Well, we want to look in our Bibles because our Bible is our authority for our faith and practice. What does the Bible say? And I want us to look back at the account of the beginning of the church, the birth of the church, to see how it got started and what they set as their priorities and check those uh, next to ours. So you're going to be, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. The New Testament actually begins with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all that are biographies of Jesus' life. Talking about his birth and his life and his teachings and his, his followers and his, his uh, opponents, his enemies, the miracles he did, the messages he gave to the crowds, and then his ultimate sacrifice to die on the cross to atone for human sin. His followers were devastated. When that happened, they were petrified. They went into hiding. They hadn't seen it coming. Even though Jesus had been telling them over and over and over, it's like that he was going to go to Jerusalem and to suffer and die for the sin of the world. It's like they didn't get it. Well, three days later, he came back alive. He'd predicted that as well. And uh, they were stunned. They were elated. Jesus has returned. And then in that period of time for the next about 40 days, it was kind of like he was in and out. He would just show up in the middle of one of their meetings. And... Uh, Then he wasn't with them like every moment of the day like he had been before that. And he's telling them that he was going to leave them a comforter, a counselor, a coach in his absence because he was going to return to heaven. And so the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. The disciples became called the Apostles. And it opens with Jesus saying goodbye. And he tells them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea, the area around that, Samaria, the, the area next door, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth, and for them to go back to the city of Jerusalem and to wait and to pray for God's Spirit from on high to visit them. And then he's gone. And so the disciples obeyed. They went back to Jerusalem and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. They prayed for a week. And the next Sunday, they're together, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God descends on them. He's just poured out on them in great measure. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 2. There's a sound of a rushing wind. There's fire uh, above everybody's heads. There's lots of people starting to speak in, in languages they've never learned. 
And the crowd begins to gather. Pretty soon there are thousands of people. And Peter takes the opportunity to stand up and to to preach to all those people. Some of them had just gotten out of bed. Some of them had been at work for hours. This happened toward the end of the the, uh, morning commute. So the shops and the banks and the restaurants uh, were all just getting opened up for the beginning of the day. But this event caught everybody's attention. So they set aside their own agenda, their own to-do list to go see what's happening. And for many it changed their life forever. We don't know the exact location. I wonder if it was near the temple and uh, Peter was able to get up on a stone or to stand on a wall or something where he could uh, to speak to a lot of people at one time and he preached the best sermon of his life. He tells them about Jesus, about Jesus being good, about Jesus being God, how Jesus had been misunderstood and how he had been illegally put to death. And he concludes, uh, I'm looking at verse 36 in Acts chapter 2. Peter said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And with many other words, he He bore witness and he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. That was the day that the church was born. See, the church of Jesus Christ is made up of people who've repented of their sins and asked Jesus to forgive them. Baptism is this picture of dying to yourself and being raised to walk a new life in Jesus Christ. And the church of Jesus Christ is made up of people who are filled with God's Holy Spirit who has been given to us as a gift. So this thing caught on faster than a wildfire, faster than Pokemon Go. I mean, thousands of people all at the same time are saying, I gotta have that in my life. I need to be forgiven of my sin to be right with God. I need Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. I need a good counselor and a coach. I need to think God's thoughts if I'm ever going to please God with my life. Look what it says they did. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. That's an emphatic way to say they made a new commitment. They started a new habit. They thought a new thought. They set a new standard operating procedure. They said how we've done things is not how we're going to do it. We're going this new direction. They, avoid, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now the disciples, which means students, had studied under Jesus and they had graduated. Now they have become the teachers. So now they're called the apostles. So what did they teach? They taught the truth. The truth that they had learned from Jesus. I'm sure they quoted Jesus a lot. And the apostles would have been teaching the truth from the Old Testament scriptures, just like Jesus did. In fact, Jesus quoted the Old Testament to show how it fulfilled uh, all of the prom that he fulfilled all the promises that were in it uh, about him, about the Messiah. And uh, so the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So they didn't have that to use, but they would have been able to say something you and I couldn't say. They would be able to say, here is what I personally saw Jesus do. Here is what I personally heard Jesus say. Here is the lesson in private that Jesus took me aside and tried to teach me. So, so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is the word of, became the word of God. And they devoted themselves to it and to the fellowship. Now, fellowship is kind of a Christian word. You don't usually use that out with other people. But basically, fellowship is believers hanging out with believers. 
enjoying each other, listening to one another, encouraging one another, praying together, supporting one another. I mean, this is such a big deal. We're going to spend a whole week talking about it. But let me give you the short version. We need each other. We need each other. We walk the Jesus way together. You're never alone. Of course, you have God's Spirit alive inside of you, but we need each other for encouragement and support on the outside, and we, and, and we let each other into our lives. That's why we have small groups. Who here is in one of our, our small groups? Well, uh, yeah, so you know the value of it. Well, I'm, I'm wanting everybody to get signed up for a group and to start new ones this fall. In fact, I want to start one myself, and if you want one in your home, let somebody know or put it on a blue card. Because we, we want people in groups of six, eight, or ten in homes or here at church or at a restaurant or at a business. It doesn't matter. Just getting together to do what these people did. Caring for one another. Supporting one another. Getting into God's Word. Praying for each other. Walking the Jesus way together. It is so important. They devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And then it says also to the breaking of bread and of prayers. Now, I bet you're thinking, you know, at this pace, we're never going to get through this whole chapter, much less this paragraph. But this is actually the heart of what we want to talk about today. We are the church. Let's worship God. We are at our best when we truly worship God. And this, the breaking of bread and prayers, might be talking about eating together, but I think, I'm I'm sure they did that, and there's even another phrase coming in this passage that says they got together in their homes. But this, where it says the breaking of bread, is talking about what we just did, the communion, where you're taking the broken bread and and the, the wine cup and remembering that Jesus said to his disciples, this bread is my body which is broken for you. This cup is my blood which is poured out for you. All of you share in this. And we share communion because Jesus told us to. He said, do this to remember me. And he didn't say how often. So we've chosen once a month to help us to remember. We take communion to remember what Jesus Christ paid for. He paid for your forgiveness. For your forgiveness. I mean, you think about the thing you're most guilty of, the thing that's caused you the most shame in your life, the thing you hope nobody ever remembers or knows anything about, the thing you wish had never happened and you regret deeply. You can thank God because of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness, his sacrifice on the cross that paid for you to be forgiven. So God, when that comes up, it's about, God says, I separate you from your sin as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. I mean, this is good news. And we can thank God for his gracious forgiveness. It cost him something. Jesus also paid for your freedom. That you and I, the power of sin has been broken in our life. We don't have to sin. He gives us the power by his spirit to make changes and to live a life that is free from sin and live it for God's glory. And then Jesus Christ also paid for your future. Because of his sacrifice, you have a place in heaven forever. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So thank God for the future in heaven. So these early converts devoted themselves to hearing God's word, to being together, to sharing in the holy moment of remembering the supreme sacrifice of Jesus by sharing in his body and in his blood and by praying together. We're into the basic ingredients of worship here. We think of worship as a ritual or as a routine or as a service that you attend to church. And worship simply means expressing your love to God. And we don't do that just on one day of the week for an hour. We do that all the time, each and every day. Expressing your love to God by yourself and with somebody. 
I mean, look what we've already seen. They're devoted to God's word. They're committed uh, to give each other their time and attention to care and connect with one another. They celebrate Jesus together in worship and in communion. They pray together because prayer bonds Christians together. It's like spiritual glue. And then look what happened next. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was a sense of awe among all of them of the majesty of God among them, that God is bigger than we are and he's way more powerful than we are. He's bigger than our plans. He's bigger than our problems. He's bigger than the bullies that we fear. He doesn't have to worry about them. And the obstacles in our path that look like showstoppers to us aren't even a speed bump to God. God can do miracles. God can save. God can heal. God can make a way when there is no way. God is generous. He's compassionate. Sure has been with me. How about you? And look what happened. These people that had gathered out of curiosity, God's word pierces their heart and they realize, I need something. So they gave up something to get something. They're transformed. They become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ and they worship God. They hear his word. They listen to his voice. They probably got together to sing and to pray and to reach one another. They become generous just like God has been generous with them. Verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as anybody had need. Their gratitude to God overflowed in their generosity to people with needs, starting with the person in the seat next to them. They were asking the kind of questions, what could I do for you? How do I bless your life? What are the needs that God can use me to meet for you? And they had gratitude. God, thank you so much, dear Jesus Forgiving me your forgiveness, your salvation, giving me a second chance, giving me the opportunity to taste the joy of generosity. It says day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, and they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. They were having fun. Well, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of a church like that? In fact, if you look up South Shores of Jerusalem on its website, there would have been lots of happy faces, lots of joy, lots of laughing and fun. They were happy with God and with each other, and they were infectious. They were contagious. It was like they'd all been bit by the same kind of bug, and their joy spread like a rash. I mean, they were praising God, helping each other, praying to Jesus, listening and caring and giving and sharing. It was an epidemic that took Jerusalem by storm. People wondered about them. What is it? They came running to see. Many people, you'd say, came on an impulse. But when God's Spirit got a hold of them, God did a great work. Now, it didn't catch God by surprise. He'd been planning this, the Bible says, since before the foundation of the world, that he would come into this world. He'd been talking about it for a long time in heaven, that he loves to team up with people to do his work and to praise him and to celebrate Jesus and to see God's work done through the power of God's Holy Spirit. I'm not saying their life was easy. I'd guess it wasn't. I mean, these people have taken a big risk. They are within earshot of people who have put Jesus to death and still had power to snuff out anybody else's life who would follow Jesus. And yet they made Jesus number one in their hearts and in their lives. And they had to let go of their past and devote themselves to following Jesus, whatever that meant. That's true worship. See, some of these people were harassed. Some were arrested. Some were imprisoned. Some were chased out of town. Some were beaten. Some were imprisoned. Some were martyred. All for their love for Jesus. But when they gathered around the feet of Jesus in heaven and tell the story and to see how God was working through them, 
These people had heard the good news and they made a decision. I want in my life what Jesus can offer. And they devoted themselves. That means they let go of certain habits and priorities and ways of thinking and certain friendships and they started a new way, a fresh way, a godly way, the Jesus way. And Jesus forgave their sin and he filled their hearts with peace and joy. So they set this new pattern of getting together with other believers and studying God's word and sharing with one another and began worshiping and singing and praying and seeing miracles and celebrations of sin forgiven and being changed by the power of God. You know what happened next? You could guess. Well, it was infectious. It says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Fully devoted followers of Christ who can't help but share Jesus I mean, that's part of what we do. When, when, when Jesus has been this good to forgive all your sin and to fill your life with purpose and to give you a place in heaven, you realize how different your life would be without him. Well, then you have a desire for the people you know and love to know and love Jesus. It just kind of exudes out of us. We can't help it. And we need to talk about this. I mean, people need the Savior. They need the Lord. I don't want to spoil the end of the story, but if you read the book of Acts, these people so fully devoted to Jesus, powered by God's Spirit, being harassed and hounded by evil forces, they took the love of Jesus all around the world in a matter of a few years. They were accused of turning the world upside down. They didn't just preach and teach. They served the communities where they lived in Jesus' name. They met people's needs at the point of need. We'll be talking about this in a few weeks too. How do we do more for our communities in the name of Jesus? How do we bless because of Jesus? See, we're trying to finish the task of telling everybody globally. And one of these days, we're actually going to take a trip to Nepal, uh, those that want to go to see these people that we have been investing in so that they can have the Gospel of Luke in their own language and hear about Jesus in their own language for the first time. These early believers were infectious. They were in love with Jesus. And that's worship, being hopelessly in love with Jesus, celebrating Jesus. Now, you're probably saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We have a worship service. It's about an hour long. And now you're saying it's not just an hour and it's not just on Sunday. It's actually a mindset. It's a lifestyle. And I'd say you're right on both counts. Remember, worship is simply expressing your love to God. So we've talked about the mindset and the lifestyle, but put Jesus in charge of everything in your life. Think about him every day. Talk about him. Include him in conversations, in your friendships, in your problems, in your family. Celebrating Jesus. Say, as far as a worship service, here's what we do. All of our efforts are to worship Jesus. So we sing. We sing. I mean, music and love just go together. Music comes from the heart. And so there's thousands, hundreds of love songs. The number one topic on more love songs than anything else is Jesus because he captures our hearts. And we sing in different styles. Here at South Shores, we don't try to get everybody to like the same kind of music. And so we are blessed to have traditional style, contemporary style, remix style, Thursday night, if it's too loud, you're too old style. And, uh, you know, you can pick what you like. Um, but, you, you know, when somebody talked to me about a style other than their own, basically saying, how do we get somebody to like a different kind of music? It's, it's a waste of effort. How do we just use all the styles that we possibly can to sing and to praise Jesus and to draw our hearts closer to him? So whatever style you like best, stick with that one. And let's do the best we can celebrating Jesus in that style. 
There's also people I know who come to church intentionally late. Um, you know, basically, I'm going to miss the crowd and all that music and all that uh, foo-foo at the beginning, and I'll just get there for the meat. And, and, and I think that's a big mistake. We need the music to help prepare our hearts to get ready to listen to God. It's bringing us into his presence. In fact, somebody asked Mozart once, what are you trying to say with your music? They said, well, if I could have said it in words, I wouldn't have had to do the hard work to write the music, would I? Because music touches us at levels deeper than words. And Romans 8 says God's spirit can do the same. He can touch us at levels deeper than words. And often he uses music to do that, to communicate something to us that, that we can't exactly, exactly verbalize. So in worship, we're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to sing. In fact, today was the last day of our summer choir. They're going to take the next few weeks off. And uh, if you're in the choir, thank you. Thank you for leading us in worship and helping to lift our hearts towards the Savior. So we sing. Number two, we pray. We talk to God. I mean, relationships need communication. This week, Cindy and I will be celebrating 35 years married. Now, that's, she's wonderful. And you know, just like other relationships, one of us talks a little more and the other listens a little better, right? And I won't tell you who's who, but <laughs> Cindy's kind of quiet. And sometimes if there's too much quiet, then I'm beginning to wonder if quiet is saying something. And so I have to check and say, you know, are we okay? Are you thinking about something? And see, communication helps our relationship to grow. And, uh, you know, relationships are either going to grow or decline. They never just sit still. They're either going to be growing or declining. And our relationship with God is just like that. Uh, on days where you have deep, significant talks with God, your relationship is growing. And on days where you're ignoring him and just going about your own business, your relationship is declining. And um, when you love somebody, you want to spend time with them. You want to talk with them. I mean, remember when you first fell in love and, and so you began texting the person you love all the time? Well, maybe, okay, maybe they didn't have that back then. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe you just sat in the kitchen by the phone and monopolized the family phone talking to the one that you love. Oh, it was before that? Maybe it was just back on the farm, you know, where you'd walk over to the next farm and talk to... You remember that, Tandy, right? I'm sure glad you're still here for us to uh, abuse and to love. She is a saint. Thank you. Cindy's a saint, Tandy said. But communication is a way of getting to know somebody as you fall in love with them. And so with God, it's the same way, to spend more time communicating with them, talking with them. I mean, you could share with God what you would share with your best friend. Everything. Your hopes, your fears, your dreams, your anxieties, what you're embarrassed about, what you're proud about, what you're ashamed of, your goals, your ambitions, your hurts, your cares. Every part of your life, just bring it to God and talk about it. Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and he might please for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I'll call on him as long as I live. And if you're not feeling all that close to God today, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes when we've been believers for a long time, it, it's lost its spark or we've just kind of let it get ho-hum or we put it on, on automatic pilot for a while. There's no real joy, no wow anymore. Well, here's the remedy. Start talking to God again. Maybe find a quiet spot and get a blank piece of paper and just sit down and start talking to God. And prayer is not some duty that you have to do. It's a privilege that the creator of the universe has invited you to have a conversation with him. So how do you worship? We pray. We sing. We also listen to God. Listening is one of the greatest gifts you can give somebody. 
We all want to be understood. We all want to be listened to. When you listen, you're saying, you matter to me. Same is true with God. And every time you listen to God, you say, God, you matter. I value what you have to say. And so we need to listen to God and set time aside just to listen to God. And yet so many of us are living pressure-packed lives. You say, I don't have time to sit around and just listen to God for a while. Well, God has a remedy. In fact, he made it one of his top ten. It's in the Ten Commandments. It says, six days, do all your work. Take the seventh day and rest. It's a day of rest and worship, a holy convocation. Do no work. It's a Sabbath to the Lord. Now we think, oh yeah, that was a good idea, but I don't have time for that. Well, God didn't really make this one optional, and we're not very good at it. But I would encourage you just to start taking time down to say, I'm going to take one day and set it aside, just like God said, and try to work my life at a pace that would glorify God. You see, the reason we can't hear God sometimes is that our lives are fast and so full and so noisy that there's no room for God. So here's a suggestion. The, the Jewish people actually improved on Sabbath. They start it at sundown the day before. So that way they get to bed on time. So they wake up the next day rested and refreshed and ready actually to worship God. And so if you treated Saturday night like a school night rather than just a weekend night, and so what happens on Saturday, he doesn't have a negative impact on Sunday morning. You'd get to uh, church with God's people rested and refreshed and ready to give God your full attention. Here's another idea. How about arriving early and uh, like you're getting ready for an important date rather than dashing in the door just under the wire, maybe a few minutes late, instead to take time to prepare your heart to be intentional for the most important meeting of your whole day, maybe your whole week. I mean, it'll amaze you how much better the music sounds and how much more scintillating the sermon would be if you've actually taken time to get your heart ready for an encounter with God. Fully devoted followers of Christ. Worship, it's what we do. It's expressing your love to God. So we sing, we pray, we listen, we give. These people devoted themselves to generosity, to coming to worship with a gift in hand. Don't come empty-handed. I know this sounds like a preacher just asking for money, but giving is a, is a gift that's a great way to express your love. In fact, I talked to a mother of a teenager recently who's concerned that her daughter's love for her boyfriend far exceeded, the, the gift that she was giving far exceeded what the love was, or at least should have been. The boy was having a birthday, and the girl had purchased seven pairs of very expensive shoes. And the mother thought, seven? Why not one? So we give. We can give without loving, but we can't love without giving. So let your giving reflect the love that you have for God so that God's good news can be spread all throughout the world. We also read God's word and share its truth because we believe the Bible is God's inspired word. So we're not going to get together for church to just have a talk or just to have somebody's thoughts. We're going to say, God, what does your word say? And as we do our best to, to uh, explain it, to, to bring light to it, to, to uh, look at it and to um, get into God's word together, God can take it even from a fumbling preacher and can use a portion of it to pierce your heart and mind to say, here's the part that's for you today. Think about this. And then we remember the Lord until he returns. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Now listen, we're not a football team, but let's not fumble the ball. We are being called to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, who worship him in spirit and in truth. So what's the next step for you? Do you need to give your life to Jesus? 
Do you need to join his family to be baptized? To start growing as a Christian? To reconnect with a small group or to get into one for the first time just as a way of encouraging other people in their walk of faith? Do you need to find a ministry somewhere where you can serve? Do you need to fulfill your mission and discover what God put you on this earth to do? I mean, today we're talking about worship. It doesn't just happen here in the walls of the building. Worship can happen anywhere because worship is, it means expressing your love to God. Shall we pray together? God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for these people who just one day were going about their business and then God's spirit so invaded their lives they couldn't help but say, that was God and I need to have a response to him. And we can see in your word that you loved us so much that you came and lived and died here and you gave your life so that we could live. Now we are your church. We are your people. We're your body. We're your hands and heart and arms and legs. So may we be about your work with great zeal. We love you and we thank you for being our God. Amen.